um, this won't be awkward, but if you're a child and we're staying in the service today, so if you need a notebook or crayons, go get it right now. Andrick, go for it. Doesn't matter your age. It's just like an age of your heart, which is fascinating that Andrick stood up because my first story is right about him. I am, I am Pastor Amber. I'm our children's pastor, so I minister to the children and their families of our church, but I also have teenagers in my own home, and so sometimes I get the privilege or I just invite myself to be a youth sponsor. And so last week we had this event called Extravaganza. It's at Southern Nazarene University, and it's a regional event that includes teenagers and their adults who love them from Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, and Oklahoma. And they do all of these crazy activities, um, one of which is called ultimate, not ultimate frisbee. We did do ultimate frisbee, disc golf, boom. Okay, and so Andrick, Clay participated too, but sorry, Clay, this story's gonna focus on Andrick. Okay, so Andrick was participating and competing in disc golf. This is an expertise of his, so it was right that he chose that field to compete in. All right, and so I have never actually participated in this event before, but it just became very, very um, intense because Andrick was competing against this senior in high school. His name was Ethan. He was from Ponca City, so then I felt like a bit of an affection toward this guy too because he's a fellow Oklahoman. Um, but in terms of my loyalty, I was loyal to Andrick, so... Like, while I'm trying to be nice to Ethan, Ethan doesn't have grown-ups following him around. This, So I'm, you know, just encouraging him to, like, hoping Ethan does well. But in my mind, in my heart, I'm like, you better totally miss this. And Andrick, you better totally get this. And so I'm, you know, I'm like, my videos are all on Andrick. My pictures are all on Andrick. Some of my pictures are of the, the people that are rooting for Andrick. Andrick told me later that um, I was totally breaking all the rules but because I was in the way, okay, and I was probably too loud. Regardless, Ethan might have felt my support. He might have thought I was even a tiny bit loyal to him, but actually, if he could have seen my head, if he could have seen what was going on right in here, if he would have looked at all of my pictures, all of my videos, he would have known that my loyalty was actually just to Andrick alone. Okay. Faith, faith is this belief that always engages our behavior. Faith should be understood, especially when we read our passage of scripture today. Faith needs to be understood as loyalty, okay? Who, who are we committed to? Who, who does our behavior say we are going to follow, um, because, of course, who you're committed to, where your loyalty lies, where your faith sits, your behavior is going to follow. So today our passage is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 13, and then we're going to read all the way through 5.11, but I'm not actually going to start reading it yet. I just want you to get a heads up. That's where we're going. Um, Paul, in this passage, he's going to deal with two kinds of people. Both sets of people are Christ followers. He first is going to deal with Christ followers who have died. And then he's going to deal with Christ followers who are still alive. Okay? 
That's who we're going to hear about today. So I want you to bear with me while I give you a little bit of context for Thessalonica, these people that he's, he's addressing in his letter. Thessalonica was a, a Roman city, but it was considered a free city. Okay, it was doing so well for the Roman government, and the Roman government, Caesar knew that Thessalonica was so committed to Caesar as Lord that instead of having to pay full weight of taxes back to Rome, they actually got to keep their, their money so that their money in Thessalonica could be returned right back into the city and could build bigger and, and better things, that their money could be used to, to grow their city in greater ways. But the only way they got to keep that status as a free city was as long as their loyalty, their behavior, showed that their commitment was to Caesar alone as Lord. And why wouldn't they? I mean, Rome was like this superpower that promised and even made effective peace and security. Okay, that was their, that was their propaganda. That was their statement. We got peace and security. If Rome is in charge, peace and security for you, right? This was the political group that engineered beyond what people could get their minds around. They were engineering the draining of swamps so that land that seemed totally unusable became usable space. They were able to bring water in from faraway lakes into cities so that people could use it. They were, they were doing things. They were building roads that were giving greater access to things that they didn't have access to before. Caesar, that's easy. Yeah, we'll say Caesar is Lord. Until... Jesus, this, this tiny group of people in Thessalonica, they learn about the one who is the prince of peace. They learn about the one who is the savior of the whole world. They learn about the one who is Lord of all lords, Jesus Christ, the one who was subject to the most public, humiliating, horrific display of power over a person, death on a cross. And even this Roman display of absolute power was not powerful enough to defeat this one. He conquered even a Roman death on a cross by resurrecting back to life. This, this display of ultimate power was totally sufficient for this tiny group of people in Thessalonica to turn their loyalty away from Caesar as Lord to Jesus as Lord. This peace and security that Rome offered was absolutely nothing, nothing compared to the infinite power, peace, love, security, justice for all that Jesus could give them. And the church in Thessalonica was born. However, time passed, and some of these Christians who had committed themselves to saying that Jesus was Lord, well, they were dying. And some were dying because they were martyred for their faith. Some were dying just from natural causes, but they were dying nonetheless. And this became very, very stressful for the people who were still alive. Okay. 
because they became very afraid that Jesus had not returned and their Christ-following brothers and sisters were dying. And so Paul had already visited them, but he hears about this stress that they're encountering, and so he writes this to them. So we're going to read this together, and so would you stand for the reading of God's word? We're in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 5, 11. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Those who have died, they're going to get to come first. For the Lord himself, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Let's pray. Father God, would you please Have your blessing on your living and active word for us today. Do what you want to do in this place this morning. We trust you and we need you. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Julia is my daughter and she was born nine days late. Nine days At my last appointment with my doctor, she said to me, listen, I'm so sad to tell you this, but I'm off to India, and I'm going to be gone, and so I'm not going to get to deliver sweet Julia. 
but don't worry, I'll get to meet her when I come back. Well, wasn't it so nice of Julia to wait for my doctor to get all the way back from India? I am telling you, so then she did get to deliver her. I'm telling you that nine days after my due date felt like the same amount of time as the nine months leading up to it. I'm serious. Joel's a different story. It's about two weeks before his due date, and I am just leisurely sitting with a group of ladies. We're chit-chatting. It's late Saturday night. And this other lady is paying closer attention to me than I am, and she goes, Amber, listen to me. Your contractions are less than five minutes apart, and you have to stop talking every time one comes. We need to get you to the hospital right now. And so we went, and Joel was born before the doctor could arrive to deliver him. Thank you very little. (laughs) What was maybe most frustrating about both of these stories is that it was just different than my expectation, right? I had in mind the plan, and it didn't go as I thought it might. And I think that's what's happening for the church in Thessalonica. (laughs) These dearly loved Christians, they were dying, and, and people were stressing about that timing. And so Paul says, listen to me, do we don't grieve like people who don't have hope. But why don't we grieve like people who don't have hope? Oh, because Jesus. Because Jesus already took care of all of that. He died and he rose again. That's the very gospel. That is the belief that calls us Christian. I'm going to get to our behavior in just a minute. So we're going to stick with belief for a minute. If you don't believe that Jesus actually died in his physical body and actually rose again in his physical, actual body, then please, I I totally get it. I I really do get that. It's a very, like, Jesus calls it a very narrow way, right? It's a narrow path that can believe such a a mind-blowing thing, right? It's a narrow path, but if you don't believe that thing, then please do not call yourself a Christian. Like it robs the name of the very thing that calls us Christ followers. It's reserved. That the name Christian is literally reserved for people who believe in the actual death and actual resurrection. No metaphor. <laughs> actual of Jesus Christ. Okay. So Christians believe that Jesus will return. <laughs> Who? With a command from his voice. Right? He enters into this space and with a command of his voice, the very same voice that called creation into being, the same voice that brought something out of nothing, that voice will return and call the dead back to living. Those who are dead, those who are alive in Christ get to meet him in the air. Oh, you guys, the the air was this crazy space. It was this space that the Thessalonians understood to be the space where evil spirits 
dwelled. It was this space that seemed very unsafe because of what they imagined dwelled in that space. And Paul says, listen to me, not even that space gets to be overpowered by Jesus. He returns into that space as Lord. This is why we are a people who do grieve death. Oh, yes, we grieve loss, but we do it from a space of great hope. Death does not have the final say. Jesus Christ has the final say. And so Paul closes that section in chapter 4 with these words. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. I I want you to hear that and let it set right back here because we're going to come back to it. Because he's going to say it again and we got to hear what that means. Encourage one another with these words. So then in the beginning of chapter 5, Paul turns to address the issue of those who are still alive. That's us. It's not just the Thessalonians that were alive when he wrote that letter. Now today, you are still alive, so this is you. He's addressing you, people. Brace yourselves. He reminds them very gently that we don't know when Jesus will return. Just set that in. We don't know when Jesus will return. And I'm telling you, the Thessalonians were like, listen, all the signs are pointing to any day now. Right? Like, I mean, look around you. Look what's happening. It's very clear Jesus is coming back. I mean, maybe even today. Do you know any Thessalonians in your own life? Right? And Paul says, stop it. We don't know when. In fact, stop using your stress. Stop pouring your energy into trying to figure out when. Trinity, let's stop. Let's stop doing that. We don't know when. Guess what we know? We know that. We know that Jesus will return. And so let us be ready. All right. Let us be ready. Let us be found drinking so deeply from the well of hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that as the Holy Spirit continues to shine light in spaces in our life that are so dark that we are willing to pick up our cross and follow Jesus once again, deeper still, so that nothing prevents us from being awake, from being sober. Okay. He says, we're people of the day. We are people of the light. We're people who are awake and sober. Okay. We know sober means you don't get drunk with alcohol, you don't get wasted on drugs. Yeah, yeah, that's what sober means. Appropriately so, we have that definition for sober, but it's more than that. 
it's behaving in ways that are self-controlled. To all the things. Self-controlled in all the ways. Sober in, uh, in all the ways. We're so well-balanced as people loyal to Jesus Christ alone that we live in this constant awareness that we are a part of a different kingdom. We are a part of a kingdom of God. We have a new kind of loyalty. We have a new kind of love. Our salvation sits in something that is so countercultural that it's going to distinguish us from those people who are living in darkness. But sometimes I think the church is asleep. Sometimes I think we lack self-control. Sometimes I think we lack balance. We get sleepy in our relationships with other people. We ignore the call to love the person because we're so distracted by their clothes or their hair or their tattoos or their piercings or their gender identity or their sexual orientation or their social status or their political affiliation. We're sleepy with our phones. Can I get an amen? Mm. I really do think we are people of the night and people of drunkenness when it comes to actually all things electronic, gaming devices, games on our phone. Oh, man, social media, TikTok, YouTube, you name it. We pick up that device and we fall asleep into our addiction. We're sleepy. We're sleepy with how we care for our bodies. I walk into that pantry and all self-control goes to the wayside. I open that refrigerator and all self-control goes out the door. We are sleepy people. We don't know when Jesus will return, but when he does, let us be found wide wide awake <laughs> by the Holy Spirit's power at work in and through our risen Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be found behaving in ways that are totally and entirely self-controlled. Why? Because Jesus conquered death. Name one thing that is more controlling, more, more decisive, more final than death. Think about it. Like whatever you're facing right now, one thing that's more final than death over what you're facing. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, who humbled himself, who, who submitted himself to the one thing 
more powerful than all else. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, no longer does that thing of utmost power that seems to think it can control us, no longer does that thing have power anymore. Paul knew this. The church in Thessalonica knew this. We, we know that. But the Thessalonians needed a reminder, and I think we do too. I want us to be people where there is not a single relationship, that there is no amount of prejudice or fear or addiction or brokenness, or political affiliation, or money, or desire. Not a single thing keeps us from properly wearing that breastplate of faith and love and that hope we have of salvation, the helmet on our head. No matter what I'm doing at any given moment of every single day, I am not going to be afraid that Jesus might come back right now. I don't know when, but when he returns, let me be found doing things that say I am loyal to God alone. So no matter when it happens, whether I'm on Instagram or TikTok, or I'm responding to a post on Facebook, or I'm shopping, or I'm eating, or I'm driving. In every moment, my thoughts and my actions reveal that I am awake, and I am sober, and I am self-controlled, and I am loyal to Jesus Christ alone, fully ready for Jesus to return. This is my prayer for us as a church. So I want you to pay attention to how this passage ends. Encourage one another. He says it again. Same ending as chapter 4. Be in the habit of encouraging one another. (sighs) Encouraging one another is this like reciprocal back and forth. I encourage you, you encourage me. Oh, I encourage you, you encourage me. Oh, you go deeper, you encourage me. I go deeper, I encourage you. It is reciprocal, it is back and forth. But get this, people. The word for encourage there has the very same root (laughs) as the word that Jesus uses to define and name the role of the Holy Spirit who's going to come and dwell inside of you and me. Same word. So this thing that we're called to do, this thing that Paul is saying, listen, you encourage each other. We're not doing this on our own. I'm not trying to muster up some like, you can do it. No, Holy Spirit is encouraging me. He is transforming me in such a way that that encouragement that's happening deep inside me pours out onto you. And the Holy Spirit is encouraging and changing and comforting you and being your advocate so completely that it oozes out and it is encouraging me. That's the church. We are in the habit. We are people who are encouraging one another. Thanks be to God 
Thanks be to the Holy Spirit at work right now in this room. So I ask you this morning, what do you need to surrender to Jesus that's of the night? What do you need to surrender to Jesus that is an area in your life that is lacking sobriety? An area in your life that is lacking self-control. This morning we're going to receive the gift of communion. So if you would pull this out right now. There's no music playing yet. Don't stress about that. I don't think when the Lord offered this first supper that there was a guitarist sitting in the corner. So it's okay. We'll, We'll be like... Back in the olden days. Okay. Together, we're going to eat this bread. We're going to drink this juice as a means of remembering what Jesus accomplished for us in his death. We're going to eat and drink as a means of grace from God and as this opportunity to literally wear that breastplate of faith and love and securely fasten that helmet of the hope of salvation right onto our heads. This eating and drinking, church, it is our very act of loyalty to the one who gave everything so that we might have life. Now, pay close attention. If you are not willing to absolutely commit your loyalty to Jesus Christ, then this is not yet for you. I pray that one day it will be. But this thing that we're about to do, it is for those who say, yes, I might be not doing it perfectly, but yes, Lord, my loyalty lies with you. My faith is in you alone. So we're going to receive the elements as people of the light, people of the day. This, this wafer of bread, it represents the body of Jesus that was broken for our transgressions. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So let's give thanks to God, and let's eat this in remembrance of Jesus' body broken for us. And then Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks. He gave it to his disciples. And he said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink together, remembering the work accomplished through the blood of Jesus. Our musicians are going to come. Church, I want to ask you again this morning some very hard questions. What do you need to surrender to Jesus that's of the night and of the darkness? It doesn't have to hold you anymore.
what area of your life remains asleep and needs to be awakened by the power of the Holy Spirit? What areas of your life need to be showered with the hope that we have in our risen Savior, Jesus? Oh, is it the darkness of your mind when you see another person in lust or maybe even disgust? Is it where your emotions go when you see a post, either like maybe an unrighteous anger (laughs) or a desire to retaliate? Is it an unreconciled relationship that needs forgiveness, a price so expensive that only Jesus could afford? We're gonna sing. I want you to respond to the Lord as you need to. His grace is so richly sufficient for us today.